following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show. With host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to the ninth episode of the Underdog NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie and I'm joined as always by my co-host out on the West Coast, Zandrick Ellison and Zan. Today, we don't have a ton to talk about in terms of results. Not a lot of crazy stuff's happened on in the NBA other than maybe Denver beating Toronto on a back-to-back somehow. But we do have another head coach fired. Fred Hoiberg gets canned. Uh, the Bulls were 5-19. and 19. Your thoughts on Fred Hoiberg? We'll just dive right into it. Right into it. Well, I, it kind of hurts me personally because I love Fred Hoiberg. I thought he was going to be a great head coach in the NBA. And like, I don't know about you, but when he got hired, you know, it was a tough situation because he had to take over for a Thibodeau team that was pretty good. But he like checked all the boxes to me. Like people don't maybe not remember Fred Hoiberg as a player, but he was kind of like a, you know, plucky guard, um, served in the front office like Steve Kerr, you know, who was also a plucky, you know, backup guard. And then he had success in college as a coach at ISU. And at, and I think they ran a good offense, um, a modern offense. And he had that sort of Steve Kerr-ish personality, too, where he seemed like a humble, nice guy. So I thought he would work out a lot better than he did. What do you think? Why didn't he work out? I uh, I kind of think you're right about him checking a lot of boxes. Uh, I, I do remember, if I'm correct about this, he was in the front office with the Timberwolves for a couple of years before he went back to Iowa State. And at Iowa State, they adopted a really interesting way of recruiting where he took a lot of junior college transfers. He took a lot of transfers in general. And he turned the program around really quickly. And I always remembered that he had a reputation as a really good X's and O's guy. Like people really liked what he did on offense. It was very simple. It was very ball screen oriented. And I remember talking to some guys around the co- around college basketball uh, one year at the Final Four about Fred Hoiberg and being like, yeah, he runs really great stuff, right? And I remember a lot of college coaches being like, eh, I don't know how good of an X's and O's guy I think Fred Hoiberg is. But I think that... He's in a situation where a lot of people would have failed. I think there are guys that tweet that like Hoiberg's not very good at what he does. And I think managing his roster wasn't a great situation for him. But I mean, Zan, the first two years he was there, they won 40 games. So it's not like they were in a Yeah, no, he definitely got set up to um, not fail, but underwhelm, I think. Because I think they when they hired him, they thought it was Steve Kerr replacing Mark Jackson, where it's like... You know, modern offense, we're going to flip the switch and win 10 extra games. And it's really kind of a one-off what Steve Kerr was able to do in Chicago, I mean, in Golden State. Um, and I, you know, I wrote about it today. There's a longer post you could read on my Twitter about this situation. But remember, they also put him on a team that didn't suit that kind of offense that he was supposed to run. And then they doubled down on that by, you know, signing Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo. And it was this weird fit of non-shooters on an offense that's supposed to be all about pace and space so um and then they reversed course and gave him the kind of roster that he maybe would have wanted but i wonder if it was like too late 
like it does it hurt your credibility when you're clashing with veterans and they're not buying in and then somehow the young pups on the team are supposed to buy in as well i think that's hard to do i don't know to be honest with you and, and again like i said I, I think they're five and 19 right now but he got one game of lori markin in this year who i think lori markin is pretty good i think on draft day i didn't think he was going to be very good and you know he had a good rookie year he got four games of bobby portis obviously they had that weird bobby portis and nicholas or nikolai marodich incident last year but he got one game of Chris Dunn. So I, I'm i going to go out on a limb and say two things, right? He was on a five-year, $25 million deal. This was year four. So he is going to likely get paid his entire contract. He is going to have his pick of whatever college job he wants. Uh, it bailed him out from ever having to leave Iowa State to go to a bigger job, which was his alma mater. So I think you're going to see Jeff Goodman, who's a college basketball writer, who I'm not a huge fan of, but he rumored him to UCLA already. I mean, that's the type of job we could see this guy get. Like he, he's going to be the most sought after power five college basketball coach after this coming season. And he's going to have my favorite thing you said is that my favorite thing you said is that you hate Jeff Goodman. I want to start a little beef. Maybe we can get a Twitter. <laughs> I, feud I, I mean, who hates that guy? I don't know much about him. I see him. I didn't tweeting say I hated him. Jeff Goodman. I, I said, I was not a huge fan of Jeff Goodman, which is true. I, yeah, I don't know. I'm a really bad, uh, I'm really bad at being a media member, and just to get off track for like a, a quick second, like you're supposed to take all these wild stances and like be a jackass to people and and race for scoops. And in general, I just want to have educated conversation. That's it. I, I'm okay giving hot takes like Draymond Green's more important than Steph Curry, but only if I believe in it. Like I can't do the like I can't do the Skip Bayless. Like, did you happen to see Skip Bayless's tweets during the the Saints Cowboys game? No, I, I don't even follow that's him. He's just he's like, like, I'm sweating. I'm out of control. He's got a million tweets. They're all in caps, a thousand exclamation points in every one of them. And I'm just like, man, where the hell do these guys get the energy? And at some point... Dude, well, it's it's a very like calculated thing, as you said. Like a hot take. People say hot takes. You can have a strong opinion. Um, like I think you said once, like you don't wouldn't pay Kyrie Irving the max or something like that. Like that's a strong opinion that you can back up. I think Skip Bayless doesn't necessarily believe half the stuff he says. He's just trying to, you know, pull her. And so for me, Zan, I'm not, I'm just not sure. Like if I could keep track, do these guys like write down their hot takes? Because like there have been several moments of Skip Bayless giving a hot take that contradicts another hot take that he already gave. Like. And that's no, he doesn't know. I guarantee you Skip Bayless doesn't watch any sports. He watches the he, Cowboys. I don't think any of those. He watches guys the Cowboys. But anyway. He does like the Cowboys, but he has a weird like history. But with anyway, but so my my thing is like with the Bulls, you're exactly right. Like this seems like it fails. I the first thing I texted my one friend who works uh in the NBA was Fred Hoiberg fired. I bet he's not that mad about it. Like he wasn't gonna this team wasn't gonna be very good this year. He was in the last year of his deal next year. This way, like, you get paid your money, and then he can decide, like, I don't envision he'll get another NBA job offer this offseason, but he'll be the – I mean, whatever – like I said, whatever college job he wants, he wants. And I, I think it's more of a conversation of, like, are Gar Foreman and uh, John Paxson – not John Paxson, Jim Paxson? Jim Paxson. Jim. Yeah, I always get that mixed up. Are Jim Paxson and Gar Foreman going to be the two guys – they're going to make this hire. They, 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 Jim Boylan is the interim – head coach. He's I, at one point, he was the highest paid assistant coach in the league. I think he makes just under a million dollars. It sounds like they're going to give him an opportunity to coach this team moving forward. If they're good this year, he may get the job, which we talked about. With- I know. I like that. I like that. You know, I, you, know I, you, you could say that my first reaction as a Fred Hoiberg defender is why fire him now? There's nothing really is going to change the season. This team is going to be in the top 
five in the lottery. But I think they genuinely think Jim Boylan has a chance to be the guy in the future, maybe next year or the year after. And and I think, you know, this gives him a long time to prove that. Uh, so I, I don't mind the timing if they were committed to firing him. And they think that Boylan's a, a credible candidate. Uh, do you think that there was something that happened behind the scenes? Now, I don't know this and I, I don't want to wildly speculate, but when you do this and you and you implement this guy, like, what do you think happened with Fred Hoiberg? Because again, there, there was no evidence this particular season that Fred Hoiberg wasn't the guy to coach this team. They bottomed out last year, which we knew was going to happen. And then this year, you know, three guys that are supposed to be three of their, you know, top seven rotation players don't play. Like, what 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 happened between now and the last 24 games that you had to fire Fred Hoiberg? And that's my question. Like, do you think that they think, like, Jim is a better fit to run the team and they're cutting bait with Hoiberg because it's rare to see a guy get fired after 24 games. And, and a team that's, as you said, injured. Um, I, I read some quote that Jim Boylan said that he's uh, something like, I don't, I'm misquoting it maybe, but he's a more aggressive in-game coach or something like that. That kind of implies that he's more tactical, maybe more of an X's and O's guy. And I do think he, he kind of has a reputation as being a little harder edged than um, Hoiberg was. So, Maybe they, they, you know, they signed, it's kind of like their, their offseason approach to me was sort of throwing shit at a fan and seeing what sticks, right? Like, let's give Zach Levine a bunch of money. Let's give Jabari a bunch of money. And maybe one of them can be an efficient scorer. And it hasn't really happened yet. Um, and so maybe he, they think it's time to crack the whip and get these guys. There, there's a chance. And let's we can talk about Chicago for a second before we go into other some stuff, but some other stuff. But, I mean, there's a chance Jabari Parker's the worst player in the NBA. Like... And he's getting twenty million a year. I just looked up twenty million a year. He's on a team option for twenty million next year. I do not think they'll pick that up. Um, but you know, the guy that I thought was so interesting was Zach Levine. Like coming into the year, I think that was one of my bold predictions. I thought it was the worst contract of the summer, and he started really well. He's still averaging twenty five points a game, but the efficiency is starting to dip. Like looking at this team, like what do you build around? I guess the young big men. But do you think Zach Levine is a a positive asset at this point? See, see, this is the issue that I think teams always get in. And this is where if you don't have a super competent front office, and again, I'm not as comfortable commenting on Chicago's front office. I know people that are Bulls fans have been pretty unhappy with the front office for a long time. But I think that generally is the case when you have Michael Jordan and you win a lot of games and you realize like, oh, shit, this is hard. It's difficult to win games. But I mean, they, they, they match the offer sheet with Levine, and, and he's a guy moving forward that's going to have to have the ball a lot. That's just the bottom line. They, they don't have as much flexibility as I think they'd like, but I do think they have pieces that are very much moving forward in the NBA valuable. And like I said, I think marketing's pretty good. I think they'll – Bobby Portis, as far as I know, declined a uh, extension to try to get paid more money. Now, I'm not quite sure if I think Portis is a really good piece moving forward. I think he's a very good player. I think he's talented. but you know, this is a guy shooting 41% from the field and under 30% from three. And you got to do a little bit more than that if you're going to average 10 and 10, in my opinion. Now, Jabari, the, the one reason I said I thought he was so, I thought he was uh, provided so little value is just because his, uh, just because his usage, like he's got to have the ball. He's got to take a lot of shots. He's never shown that he can be a shooter, but, I, but like Wendell Carter has been very good this year. Like Wendell Carter gives you like 11 and seven and one and a half blocks on, 48% shooting as a 19-year-old rookie. Like, Carter and Markkinen look like a really good pair of bigs to build around. They do different things. They're both solid. 
those are the two best those are the two most appealing pieces to me and we haven't seen them together yet which is so interesting about the timing of the firing like are they going to play together a lot are they going to rotate them i think they could play together but you know we haven't seen it yet and so to not give Hoiberg a chance to make it work is a little odd, even for five so games that, or so. That makes me wonder, like, did he just wear out his welcome in the locker room? Like, were guys ready to see him go? Did you not think that this team was playing hard enough? I mean, again, like, I don't think – I mean, how many minutes did they get? Like, Denzel Valentine hasn't played in all this year. He was a guy that played a ton. Like, this is a team that's – this is a team that started Ryan Archidiakono 12 games. Like, and I – and again, I, I'm not using my temple bias that I, like, hate Villanova, even though I do hate Villanova, but, like – Ryan Arch was a G League guy. Like, that's not an NBA starter. So when you're in that situation and, like, you have these guys with Fred Hoiberg, it just feels like it was a total hatchet job. It, it feels like – and I'm not even saying I'm defending Hoiberg that he's a great coach because I don't think that. But it just feels like this is a, a, an organization that's like, you know what, we need to start over. Fred's not really the guy and we got to move in another direction. And so if that's the case, then why is Jim Boylan the guy? If he, I mean, he's the guy that he'd worked with Hoiberg the whole time. He was his associate head coach. He brought him over from the Spurs. Uh, you know, it's interesting um, to me, like maybe it's just stereotyping, but um, you think of Scott Skiles or Tom Thibodeau and maybe stereotyping based on bald people, but he seems like the kind of coach that wants to squeeze out every win from the roster that he can. Boy, are you talking about Boylan or Fred Hoiberg? Yeah, Boylan, Boylan. And so to me, so, and you wonder, you know, he's the next man up, but why squeeze out every win in a roster where the team at this point is the lost season? You kind of want a top five pick, you know, however high you can get it. So him squeezing out 30 wins is maybe to their detriment. It doesn't make um, sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense, especially in the East. Like it's not like they're in the West and and being five and 19 means you're, you know, seven games back of the eighth spot. Like, I mean, they're, they're not that far out of the playoffs in the East. Well, and Jim Boylan, like this, you know, he had a shot at Utah. He coached there for a few years. This might be his only chance to be a head coach in the NBA. So in, so I wonder if he has some sort of handshake deal with them where it's like, look, you don't have to turn on the gas too much. You're going to probably get next year if we can help it. Um, otherwise, I, I don't want to see him crank this up like full tibs and try to you know play everybody, the best players on the court. I think they need to kind of think long term about it. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I do think the Zach Levine question, just getting back to that for like a quick minute, I do think the Zach Levine thing is a really interesting like kind of case study for NBA teams. I think we kind of felt differently on his deal. That I, I felt like once the money came out, I thought Chicago sort of painted themselves into a corner. That like they, they sort of had to re-sign him, right? And you, I think, felt like they did not have to re-sign him. Am I, am I right now? No, I, I, I didn't... Well, you know, I, I was intrigued by him, and I could see this sort of 20-plus 20, 20 point score because he does get to the line. He is so athletic, and he kind of has that sort of intensity in terms of wanting He's to never f- been absurd. He's never really been super efficient other than at the foul line. Like, he's never been a great shooter. Right, and, and he was hurt last year and super inefficient last year. I just wanted to see him prove it for one year before you give him a long-term contract. I thought there was a pretty sizable chance it could become like an albatross, you know, super uh, – Jordan Crawford. What's it? I, not Jordan Crawford. Um, the Lakers guy, Jordan Clarkson. Clarkson. Yeah. You know, like where he scored a lot and got a pretty big contract, and now it's an Albatross contract. It's just like with, with Levine, I, I think he's a point guard. Like, and that's been my thing for a long time, is I don't know that he's a super effective two. But on this team, like you have, you know, they have Campaign, who's clearly not very good. They traded for him. You know, we don't know who Chris Dunn is, but he's, you know, you can maybe play them together and Levine can go off the ball some. 
but it's it it's to me like their best guard probably just on a totally efficiency level has been Justin Holiday, and I'm not saying he's better than Zach Levine. He is certainly not, but. Well, I think he, I think he might be a more winning. Player. Maybe, yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. Like that's possible. You're right. You're right. Yeah, and it's weird to say because Levine is literally scoring 25 points per game right now. But I think right now, if he was on a good team, like his role would be you know scorer off the bench. It's interesting that Minnesota would allow they would trade Levine to get a guy like Jimmy Butler, and and so essentially that that trade has turned into. You know, Levine, Dunn, and Marketing for Covington, a pick, and Sarich. And the Timberwolves probably are, are comfortable with that. I, I, you know, they, could, they couldn't have Levine and Wiggins together. It's interesting that they, they prioritized Le- Wiggins over Levine. And, and, and that's knowing who Wiggins is. I agree. I think there is a part of Levine where he could take a leap and all of a sudden, you know, we talked about Kimball Walker, what, last week or two weeks ago. He went from a 30% three-point shooter for four years to all of a sudden a 35 or 36% shooter. And I've heard that Zach Levine is an unbelievably great open three-point shooter in practice. So if he becomes that guy, you know, maybe he is a 25-point-per-game a, a scorer and much more efficient. Maybe that guy exists. And maybe he, maybe he can get better from here. But you're hoping, right? I, I don't want to bet Pairing him with hope. Jopari Parker, who hasn't met a shot that he doesn't like, and Bobby Portis, who, who loves to shoot... And then, you know, Wendell Carter, who who wants to post some, but you need to have the ball in a situation where he can play make a little bit, and Laurie Marketing, like, it just feels like the guys that are around Zach Levine aren't necessarily the best fit to be around Zach Levine. And that's where I think the roster is, like, a little bit muddled. And so maybe you do go with Boylan. Maybe the guys like him. Maybe you, you give him an extra year on his deal next year and kind of look into it. But if you don't, what do you do? Because you do have a, a, a an interesting group of prospects. Like, it, it seems like Portis probably won't be on the team past this year. But, you know, you've got Levine, you've got those two young guys, you've got a lot of decisions to make. Like, do you know what their cap sheet looks like? It's it's not bad. They're, they're committed to like 50 or 60 million next year. So they could, you know, use that space. But I think their hope is to get lucky in the lottery and say, look, RJ Barrett is the kind of prospect that could maybe change this franchise and their prospects. Zion's not a clean fit considering they're young bigs, but you would probably take him and, and work around it. Do you think R.J. Barrett's a good fit there? Um, no. I Well, I, I think he is if you bench Levine. And, and by bench, I mean say, hey, look, Levine, you're going to be our Lou Williams off the bench. Um, and I think he would work in that role if his ego allows for it. Uh, I, think it I think if you have the chance to get R.J. Barrett, and we could talk more about R.J. Barrett because right now he's not looking like a surefire LeBron, you know, he might be more of an Andrew Wiggins by the time all things are said and done. But if you do think he is a transcendent talent, the fact that Levine is on the roster does not stop me from taking him. No, I could see that. But, and also like, we should say this, like, all right, so Justin Holiday is not on the books next year. And then Bobby Ford is a qualifying offer. I would imagine they will extend that just because it makes him a restricted free agent. Now they may not match what somebody else tries to sign him to, but Jabari Parker's a team option. It seems pretty unlikely that that gets picked up. Unless they want to use it as a trade, you know, salad. Yeah, which you could, which which would be relatively, uh, it would be a pretty good move for a front office that hasn't made a lot of those decisions of late, I guess. But you're right, their cap sheet is is pretty clean. Other than this random deal, I, I mean, this Cristiano Felicia, Felicio deal. <laughs> yeah, it's not, that, that's not, he gets about Cristiano Feliciano, who people might not even remember. He gets about, what, eight or nine he gets million? Eight a year? million next year, and he gets 7.6 in the last year. And honestly, 
if you don't know this guy, his story's amazing. Like I, you should go Google him and you should read about him coming over here from the States and, and kind of what happened with his family and everything. So I'm glad that he got paid. But from a pure like NBA standpoint, now you have Wendell Carter, you, you know, you got Bobby Portis, you got Laurie Markman, like you don't need him. He doesn't need, like he, he makes no sense for the new NBA as well. Like, so I don't know, as your fourth big, you really don't want to be paying him eight million dollars but it's well it's it's funny that all these like terrible the worst contracts in the league seem to be big men right like Jan Mahinmi or Biombo or Felicio all those deals are terrible especially Jan Mahinmi just again we can bring it up every you know uh, underdog sports NBA bingo Tyler talks about Ernie Grunfeld take a shot like it's the, the worst deal and it's the worst deal you know it's it's terrible but and that's the thing with the Chicago front office like you're right this team needs to lose games without admitting that they're losing games and then they need to take some of their open cap next next year and decide, like, all right, what are we? Because they really haven't been able to attract free agents lately either. And and that's another thing. And they should be able to. And, and if they want to attract a big-name coach, I think they're able to because it is a big, still, you know, marquee franchise. And I think the Bulls' name in Jersey still means something. And the big market They're sixth in attendance still this year without, I mean, being terrible. They're sixth in attendance. So – Chicago cares about basketball. I mean, how appealing of a job is this? Other than the fact that I should say the coach in me says every head coaching job is appealing because you get paid a lot of money, you get a chance to run your own team. But how appealing of a job is the Chicago Bulls moving forward? The, the roster doesn't appeal to me if I'm a coach. I mean, I like Laurie. I like Wendell Carter. I, I don't necessarily want to build around big guys in the modern NBA. Um but, you know, we'll see how the roster shakes out, you know, how the lottery, I think that's big for them because, you know, it's a pretty strong class, but there is a big difference between being one and two and being like sixth in the, in the draft. Cause at six, you're basically, you know, another solid wing player. That's probably going to be a starter for you, but it's not going to be a franchise player. What do you, what do you think is the one thing that they need more than anything right now? If you were going to be a really good team moving forward? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think they need like, you know, they need Zach Levine, the good version of Zach Levine, you know, like the James Harden version of Zach Levine, the guy who's getting to the line and scoring efficiently. And then you just build a bunch of role players around him. I don't know how you find that, but maybe they want, you know, maybe they want Kevin Porter or Cam Reddish or, you know, my guy, like they want a wing who can score it. I mean, Kevin Porter is more of a Yeah, I think so. I think they've missed that. And I think the fact that they haven't had that high volume score made them kind of overpay Levine and Jabari because they're hoping for that, that superstar. They, they are a team that needs that. I mean, we kind of, you know, there's like sort of flack people get for being scorers now, but there is value to like a prime Carmelo Anthony. Yeah. Being a more efficient scorer like that, that's for sure. And that's just in today's NBA, I think. So, you know, may, maybe even Darius Garland is, is the type of guy. Now we don't know quite how good he'll be, but I don't think they can take another athlete to be honest with you, Zan. Like, I don't know if they can take John Morant or anything like that. Like, I think they need a guy who can make shots really badly as well. Well, the, the interesting one to me would be like, you know, we talk about him all the time, but Zion, if you were them, you have Wendell Carter, you have Lori, you know, the four or five, some combination, do you squeeze Zion in there or is that too much of an option? I think you could probably do it. I think Zion is, we don't like the word unicorn. I think Zion is that right now. Uh, but, you know, drink, because we mentioned Zion, obviously, but I don't know. I, I think the Bulls are... I think it's an okay roster just from the standpoint that I think other than the Zach Levine 19 and a half million, which I don't think is a, is a, is a deal breaker for me. Like that's not such a terrible contract. He's young, he's talented. 
I think that roster's okay. Like, I don't think this job stinks. And, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them go with Jim Boylan, but I also – I wouldn't be surprised to see, like, your Mark Jacksons, your Jeff Van Gundys, you know, those, those types of guys <laughs> want to get in the mix for this job. I, I would like to see them be a little bit more forward thinking, but this being a front office that has been in the place together for 15 years, it doesn't really strike me as a group of guys that's really going to go after anybody than we've already seen. Like I could easily see this being Frank Vogel in a year. Well, here's a, a question about the appealing, uh, how appealing it is. Say you are, you are the modern thinking coach that everyone wants to hire. And I think you are. Would you rather go, all things considered, roster, market, ownership, would you rather go to Chicago or Cleveland? Those are the two openings right now. Probably, I don't know that I'd want to work for Dan Gilbert, but I don't know that I really, I would not want to work for Jerry Reinsdorf. Probably Cleveland. The roster is just, there's just much more there. Like you really only have Larry Nance, right? Like that's the only, you know, you have Colin Sexton, but I can't imagine Kevin Love's going to be there. And if I get an opportunity to clear it up, I think I'd rather have the clean slate and the ex- expectation that we're not going to be very good. Whereas with Chicago, they may say like, look, you have Zach Levine, you have Laurie, you have Wendell Carter, you have Bobby Portis. Like you need to be pretty good right away. But in Cleveland, like you might get to win 18 games, you know? Yeah, it's a long haul. It depends what you want, I guess. There, maybe Chicago's like a year or two ahead of them on the curve. I, the problem is the problem is they're just not that good. That's the issue. Like, and this is what we get into a lot. It's like when you get to a team and the expectations don't really line up with what you see. And so I, w- I want to switch gears for a second to another coaching issue. And this was an article written by Sam Amick in The Athletic about what's going on in Sacramento right now. And this was that Dave Jordan kicked Brandon Williams out of shoot-around. Brandon Williams is assistant GM. Vladdy Divac obviously is the actual general manager, though what we think he's doing, I'm not sure. I guess for me, the question is, you know, with Sacramento and Chicago, these are two situations where – the front office doesn't seem to be happy with their head coach and Sacramento's 11 and 11, but like, are we looking at the Sacramento roster and thinking that they should be a lot better than that? Is this a situation that's similar to Chicago to you? Absolutely. And I think coming into this year, I would have said they're very similar. You know, they're teams with young pieces that have some talent. We're not sure how they all fit together, but this was probably going to be a rebuilding year and a confidence growing year and maybe a year that would result in 30 wins. So the fact that Sacramento kind of jumped ahead of Chicago and jumped out to 11 and 11, I thought was a testament to Dave Yeager. And I think it was a sign that he was, his message was getting through. What about you? Yeah. And I think he's a pretty good coach, but he has had some issues with, you know, places he's worked before. My thing with Sacramento is I I always am a little bit wary of teams who they win pretty quickly in like a small sample size. And then all of a sudden people think that that's something that should happen all year. And this is a team with a pretty interesting roster, just, just like the Bulls, Like, who are you building around on this Kings roster? They obviously draft Bagley, so he's a big part of it. It it looks like De'Aaron Fox is going to be a pretty good player, in all honesty. He's taken a jump. And Buddy Heald has done, has looked pretty good this year. I I liked Willie Cauley-Stein, but they're getting nothing out of Scalabissier. So for me, like, Brandon Williams, and, and I'll speak a little bit more on him in a second, but I don't understand what else is supposed to happen in Sacramento. And so that's why with this behind the scenes stuff, and the same thing I asked you with the Bulls, like, what are we seeing? Is this from somebody in the assistance? Do the players not like him? Like, what's the deal? Because 11 and 11 seems really good for this Kings team. Like, it seems like they're way better than they should be. And your point is well served because remember, Orlando last year got off to a hot start. And again, this year, and it felt like like a mirage. 
And so there is a little bit of that. Last week we talked about the Kings not really being a playoff contender. But what I like about the team is I think it all kind of fits. You know, De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald seem like they have really complementary skill sets. And Bagley, you know, you can think he's overrated, underrated in the draft, but you can see a future where he is a good starting um, big. I'd like him at the five. But it all kind of clicks together. And I think, you know... I see the outline of, of a good team here. I, I think there, there's nothing about the construction that makes me nervous. There's nothing about the coaching that makes me nervous. So if you're Brandon Williams, who I don't know much about, like what is the f- concern? So real quick, just for people that I, I talk about my illustrious career as a coach on here before, but when I did work in the D-League, Brandon Williams was the general manager of the Delaware 87ers. He was, he split his time between the Sixers and the 87ers and and he was my direct, like that's who I directly reported to was, was Brandon Williams. And he is, uh, played at Davidson, played for the Spurs, I believe won a title with the Spurs and is a really intelligent guy. So I, I don't recall, Brandon came around not a ton. He was around probably, I would say like every, you know, maybe every three or four days I saw Brandon. I I definitely heard from him every single day, but I'm not exactly sure. This doesn't make a ton of sense to me. He is a guy that he, he can come off as like somewhat arrogant at times as like he's the smartest guy in the room. But it's interesting to me that he, I mean, he worked for Sam Hinkie, Zan. Like he was one of Sam's first hires. So like very clearly people think Brandon's intelligent. But this whole like he wants to replace Dave Jorger, like I I don't get it. Like I don't I don't understand it. I I was joking around with my buddy who was my roommate at the time, who who's a college basketball coach now. Like we were laughing about Brandon and some of the things that he used to say. But this feels odd to me because one, we don't know how much power Brandon has. Now maybe he said like he just doesn't want to play the way that Dave plays. You know what I mean? And he said that to. Vladi and maybe he said that to Vivek. I don't know, but it feels a really weird for a, a, a head coach to tell the assistant general manager you can't be at shoot around, and to use that to sort of like galvanize the players. You know, there was some rumors that it was about Bagley and the fact that Williams wanted Bagley to start and get more playing time. And as a Bagley defender. I can kind of understand that, but there's, I didn't really understand the need to go throw him out for 30, 35 minutes a night right away. I, I thought he was developing fine off the bench. So he plays 24 minutes a game right now. And he, and he puts up decent stats, but what's the rush? You know, you have a 19 year old big man, you know, are you chasing, I guess you're chasing what? The eighth seed? I, I don't know. I, I don't really think there's a much that they could do to change their fate this year. I do think this is a front office where there's pressure on them, right? Like we, we know that Vivek will do crazy things. Uh, the owner of the Kings, you know, obviously we heard he was obsessed with Buddy Heald and that he wanted him so badly. They traded uh, DeAndre or they traded uh, DeMarcus Cousins, excuse me, for him. And it, it was like his, his kind of like motive that he had to get him. And he's turned into a pretty good player. Now the thing with the Kings where you said like, I like this team and the construction is good. I, I agree with that. My problem with the Kings is I just – I don't personally think Marvin Bagley's a star. The lack of rebounding concerns me. Like, he does get 6.8 rebounds a game, but he is not a tremendous rebounder. His rebounding percentages aren't amazing. He's a better offensive rebounder than defensive rebounder. But I don't – he I just always worried about, like, who you could play him with. Like, he's a five, man. He's not a four right now. No, but I, I disagree with you on a few fronts. Like, I do think he's a pretty good rebounder. Uh, he was a Duke and, you know, look, he's not getting a ton of minutes. You know, everyone's, you know, 
creaming their pants over Jaron Jackson Jr., who was not a good rebounder in college or in the NBA. I think Bagley's better on that front. And I, I just think, you know, he's not a forward. He's not a power forward. He needs to be playing with like a dynamic run and gun team as the five. But I don't think it needs to rush, you know, like let him be 22 in his breakout. I don't really think there's any any hurry. He has always been a good offensive rebounder because he has a very good motor, right? So he, yeah. you know, just currently from an adva- advanced stand- stats standpoint, you know, uh, he's grabbing 11, 11.5% of available offensive rebounds, which is really, really good. That is a, an extremely high number. But his, his total rebound rate is, you know, just kind of middle of the road and it's buoyed by that offensive rebound rate. So it, it, that is good. I agree with you. But like, I don't see Marvin Bagley as like a 22 and 12 type of guy in the NBA. I think he could be. I, you know, and it, he's playing with another big man most of the time, which hurts his rebounding. And it did in college That's too. True. That's true. Um, I think the future for him, I always saw him as like a Miami Heat, Chris Bosch. I think he can be an agile five who can develop a, into a plus three point shooter and he could break guys off the dribble. And he could be a good rebounder against smaller guys. Um, I'm a little disappointed. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was going to say, I, I, we talked about a little bit about this. I'm a little disappointed. Like he looks springier in college. He doesn't look like he's in great shape right now, um, which is a concern. And um, like watching them in college, and I tend to be a little stubborn, I admit. Like I thought Bagley was better than Carter, Wendell Carter in college. And so I'm kind of dying on that hill maybe because Wendell Carter's looking pretty good. Um, but I, I don't think it's – I think it's a little too early to judge these big guys because it takes two or three years to break out unless you're like supernaturally developed like a DeAndre Ayton. Keep, keep in mind with Bagley, like he did reclass. So he, he is – although he is 19, like he's young. You know, this is he, – he was a junior in high school two years ago. So I, I don't disagree with that. I, I just – I don't know. With Bagley, like, he's good. He, he's he's good. There's no doubt about it. I worry defensively about him, but I agree with you. Like, there's no need to rush him along. My, my question is with the Kings, do they have – I mean, is that the guy? Like, he's the future star? No, I think so. I think he, it's hard to build around. Even a Chris Bosh. Say he was Toronto-level Chris Bosh. They weren't winning a lot of titles. Um, but I think he's a good player. I mean, you are getting seven, you are getting seventeen and seven and a half from De'Aaron Fox as a twenty-one-year-old point guard. So I, I think that's really a positive, obviously. Yeah, and and I think the hot start, a lot of it, like you know, people get, like the the old school guys get annoyed when you talk about like regression to the mean. But uh, Bielitsa was shooting like fifty-five percent from three earlier in the season, and that that cooled off a little bit, as you'd expect. So I think their records cooled off a little bit. It just feels it just feels like to me that this Kings team has more role players than they do. I do think the Fox and Bagley, I think, are probably pieces to build around. I, I don't know how good I think like like Willie Colson I like, but I, I again I think he's probably better as an energy big. Buddy is probably a starter. I, I think I need you know I need to see the shooting stay where it's at. But other than that, like this isn't a team like I like Justin Jackson, but then like you have Costa Kufis like. They don't want to play Scal. Ben Mecklemore is on his way out of the league. Like Yogi Ferrell was a nice story in Dallas, not getting a lot of minutes. Like it, it's an interesting team of guys that it, I just think this is the type of team that, you know, I don't think they're going to be as good as like the Joe Johnson Hawks. And that was a team that could never win a title. I think they need another guy really badly and they need another guy with star power. Well, yeah. And, you know, coming into the draft, I don't remember how much people remember about this draft. It feels like ages ago. But uh, Michael Porter was a guy that I thought really fit well with him before his injury concerns. 
um, just as a guy who could play the three or the four and just score a ton and be that star. And I think he would have fit really well with the Bulls too. It just happened to be that he kind of broke down. Um, hopefully he comes back. But uh, I think he's the kind of guy that would fit on a lot of these teams. Because, you know, there's so much talk. Like We fall in love with like these three and D guys and these role players. But you come to realize that teams do need a franchise player to build around and kind of play off of. And it's harder to find anything. Like scoring 25 points a game efficiently is really difficult to find. And that's why people underestimate. We talked about like Carmelo in his prime. That's a rare, valuable player. I feel like you want to talk more about Carmelo. Like, I feel like you want to do a whole like deep dive of like the 2012 Knicks season. Well, no, I mean, I was thinking about Carmelo on this team. Like say Carmelo was on the Kings or Carmelo was on the Bulls. I, I think he fits a lot of teams. 2015 Carmelo. Yeah. Or, you know, that's why I like Michael Porter. Like, I thought he had that sort of tall scorer mentality. Um, I do like players like that as opposed to, you know, but there's a fine line. If you dip below a certain threshold, suddenly you're Zach Levine. So, I mean, as long as you can keep your head above water in terms of efficiency, I think there's a lot of value to being able to score the ball. Let me ask you this question. Like we said, the Kings are 11 and 11. They've they've played a little bit worse of late. I think their net rating is uh, minus 2.8. So probably a little bit of regression incoming for them if it's not already happened. Does Dave uh, Jorger make it through the season? I would be really surprised if he doesn't. And it would have to be, like you said, something behind the scenes. This guy is a nice kid. He looks like he's from, I think he's from the Midwest. He comes across as a nice guy. But he, you know, he burned some bridges in Memphis. Maybe he's burning bridges now. I don't know what he's doing behind the scenes. But if it happens, it has to be related to that because there is not a reason to panic um, in terms of the basketball roster right now. It would just be silly to think this team was going to make the playoffs. This would be the second time that he's kind of been run out of town by an analytics front office, by the way, right? Because if I remember correctly, when he was in Memphis, they had a huge issue that like John Hollinger was in the middle of. Like he wanted to play some different guys. Jorger said no, and then they replaced him right away. That's really interesting. And it touches on a laundry point about coaching in the front office. And, and baseball is really like a few years ahead of the curve in this regard. And I don't know if you watched the World Series, but that was a big talking point with the Dodgers about how many decisions run through the front office. Even game management ran through the front office and they would phone down to Dave Roberts, the coach, and tell him basically everything to do, when to pinch run, when to bring in a reliever. And so you wonder if the NBA is going to trend that way, which would be scary for coaches like yourself. Well, I don't I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. And I do think one of the, one of the things that I think is the most important thing with coaches now is being able to... Oh, I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase this. I think you have to be able to gather all of the information and then use it the the best way to see fit, right? So like here's a here's an example, right? So the Sixers, before Sam Hinkie, they they hired Aaron Barzilai to be their director of analytics. And he was a guy, if you Google him, he had his own consulting service for a while. But Doug Collins just wasn't super interested. Wasn't, wasn't something that Doug Collins thought he needed to see. Like he trusted his eyes and, and that's just who he is. And so you could do all this analytics work and the front office was in place doing great work and they would give it to the to you know the GMs and other people and then it would go to Doug Collins and he just would not use it. So I think it's somewhere in between. You know, you don't want to be Doug Collins and then you don't want to be Andrew Friedman essentially. And and obviously and Dave Roberts is just not to harp on this, but Dave Roberts made some pretty poor decisions in the World Series when he had to manage himself anyway, but so I think it's it's the the key to being a really good coach is like can you be Greg Popovich or can you be Brad Stevens or can you be you know even Mike D'Antoni like can you take the information that's given to you by the people that do this at a high high level 
and then blend it with how you coach. No, totally. And it goes beyond coaching. Like for everyone listening, being able to take criticism and, and parlay it into a constructive way is vital for any sort of job, any sort of office politics. And because people have different opinions and you might not agree with exactly what they're saying, but their their opinion is coming from somewhere and you need to realize where it's coming from and how it might help you and come up with a solution that makes you both happy. And if you're stubborn and you're arrogant and you have a high profile of yourself, opinion of yourself, and you don't want to listen to anyone else, that will cause you problems in life. But And, and, and here's the thing with, with, with uh, the Kings and with uh, Dave Yeager, like I finally said it correctly and got through the mental block of saying with like a hard J. Sorry, everyone else who listened to me say it the wrong way 15 times. But here's my thing with Dave Yeager. Like he comes from like, being a basketball vagabond. Like he was an assistant with the Dakota Wizards. Like, you know, he was in the CBA and he was a head coach there for a long time. He was like coach the Cedar Rapids River Raiders. Like, so now you're looking at a guy who's like picked himself up from his bootstraps. He like becomes a a Memphis Grizzlies assistant in, in 2007. And now he can't get along with people. Like this is a guy that got shit on. I mean, for years, like if you were a head coach or you were an assistant on an, like a CBA or D league basketball team, in the late nineties, early two thousands, like you've done it with nothing before. Like, why would you not be able to adapt to using a ton of resources? So like with my thing and, and Brandon was analytically inclined. Now I didn't ever know Brandon to use a ton of like analytics and conversation. We've talked about a, a lot of different things, basketball being, being some of them, but also like I had to approve travel plans and stuff through him. Like he ran the team, but to me, I, I'm just really curious like what the breakdown is between the front office and not because it could we could see this like this was the same situation in Memphis like they wanted to play some different guys and he just flat out said no so you're right it could be this Marvin Bagley situation well and that's why that's why I would lean to the coach like look there's always a disagreement and somebody who's not a coach like yourself I don't know the answer is the best way to develop somebody like Marvin Bagley to throw him out there for 35 minutes a night and give him a long leash or is it to make him earn it and play the right way and have the right habits and then eventually get those 35 minutes. I don't know the answer, but I trust a coach to develop players more than a a front office guy. Would he get a job right away? When he got fired from Memphis, he was immediately hired. So if he gets fired again in the, I don't, I don't recall if he got fired mid season or not. Uh, No, I think it was, I think it was kind of surprising. I remember it being after the season. I think, I think it's almost like in the NBA, like two strikes and you're out like Frank Vogel, like, it was kind of surprising that it kind of stunk in Orlando and you haven't really heard a lot about him yet getting another job back to back firings is, is a little scary. And again, this is a team that through 22 games, I think we both agree is, is overachieving. It's probably a little bit of smoke and mirrors, but I, so if he's not going to be, if he's not going to get fired and I, I don't know that we've heard the last of this story yet. The, the one thing I will say about Brandon is he is very dogged in his, convictions <laughs> the subtext of all this is you don't like brandon williams by the way in all honesty I, I do think there's a lot of people who were with the 87ers at the time that would say you know tyler's not a huge fan of brandon williams but i, I do feel pretty confident that like and again this was 2013 2014 i'm pretty sure if i called brandon he would answer he always did his best to help me with whatever i needed like every time i've seen him since then like i i don't have any ill will towards brandon i just think that brandon is I think he's at the top of his profession and I think he's very confident and, and he's he's very, very intelligent. But I could see like people saying like he's arrogant. I could see Dave Yeager being like, yeah, you know, this isn't my type of guy. Like I could see that because there were times where it, it took me a while to 
kind of understand how to communicate with him. And Brandon essentially could have said like, Tyler, go get my coffee or called me at two 30 in the morning and been like, Hey, come water my flowers at 5am. And I would have done it, Zan, to be honest. Like that's what our relationship was. It wasn't like we were working together. Like I was working for him. So, but I get that. And, and maybe, you know, maybe the friction comes from desperation. Like you said, like this is a front office that I don't know how long, how much leash Vlade has left. Um, and regardless of whether he's making the day-to-day decisions or not, he's sort of like the front man. I mean, he certainly takes the blame when the decisions Right. Are. So maybe it's a situation where they they all feel like, you know, caged, cornered animals and they're lashing out at each other. Um, I don't know. I, I was more optimistic about this team personally, but we're, again, we're not behind the scenes. But, so but you right. like, I mean, like the thing is, your level of optimism is that like you think Mark I like Bagley. Bagley. <laughs> yeah. And I would have taken Bagley over Doncic, which looks really dumb right now. Man, I mean, I, don't, I mean, again, like, like I said, I think you're getting what fifteen. You're getting fourteen and seven ish, right around back or from Bagley in twenty four minutes a night. Like, well, and it definitely, I think that definitely hurts. Doncic being um, standout is not super surprising right away. I think he was like ready for this moment. The fact that Jaron Jackson right now, most people would prefer to Bagley. I think hurts them in the front office. I think it's a bad look. Um, so that might be adding some pressure to them too. Yeah, I don't know that I think he's going to be the next coach fired. I, I don't think there's a lot of really good candidates. We've talked about coaches for a little while. I don't think there's like a lot of really good candidates, and, and you did a very good job of, of researching uh, who could be the next coach fired. But, you know, just of the guys that we've talked about, like, I mean, we talked about this before. Like, I don't think Thibs is getting fired. Like, the, the Timberwolves are 7-3 and three in their last 10. Carl Towns is playing much better. It, it, it appears that this team – wanted rid of Jimmy Butler and now we're seeing them guard we're seeing some effort from them we're seeing Robert Covington do you know he's been tremendous on defense so I don't think Thibs is going uh I definitely don't see Luke Walton getting fired right now like the Lakers are playing pretty well I mean they've played a relatively easy schedule and we did see that article Brian Windhorse wrote something along the lines of like LeBron is waving off Luke Walton or ignoring him and then Doug Gottlieb, who is best friends with Miles Simon, who coaches on the Lakers, basically said, like, that's total bullshit. No one on the coaching staff is saying that. So I'm not sure who to believe, but I think Luke Walton's pretty safe. It sounds like we got through that little, like, rift and the Lakers are okay. Yeah, a lot of the coaches that were on the hot seat the first week or even coming into the season, like Billy Donovan, people weren't a huge fan of. They're doing well. Lakers are doing well. Thibodeau's turned it on. The one I would eye is Alvin Gentry. You know, Davis has been in and out, but they're 12 and 13, and I don't think he could survive a year without a playoff run. It's pretty, Alvin Gentry is a pretty interesting case because there's like some information out there that he's a good coach, and then there's a lot of information that like he's never been super successful. And this Pelicans team is a team that you know I liked a lot, and they've been pretty disappointing. Now, again, Davis is in and out, but I don't know. They're, They're, they have a better differential than a team that's under 500, I think. But right now, I would say that I don't know that New Orleans is going to make the playoffs. And that's what Anthony Davis potentially being, like from a statistical standpoint, he might be the most valuable player in the NBA right now. Like I'm not saying he's winning MVP, but in terms of like value of a replacement player and what he means to their team, like what else are you supposed to get from that guy? Well, and also it's you can't really make the case anymore that he has no help. Because uh, Drew Holiday, you know, he's a good player. Randall's played really well. Miritich has played well. They're not, you know, it's not an ideal um, balance, but there's enough good players. You still want another wing player. You know what I'd love to see is um, them get 
uh, Justin Holiday too. I think he'd be a good wing player for them if the Bulls start selling off assets. They need a couple more pieces, but it, it's getting around the time where you know twelve and thirteen coaches. It's, it's people are getting itchy trigger fingers. Mike McCarthy just got fired. Yeah, um, I agree with that. I agree uh, with that. It's it's something's in the air right now. If I'm a coach, I would I don't know how you guys do it. It does not seem like the easiest job for security. Well, that's why I'm talking to you because uh, <laughs> Anthony Davis, by the way, averaging 28, 13, and five in uh, and leading the NBA in minutes per game on a team that's twelve and thirteen. So I don't know what we're going to see from New Orleans. It, it feels like their start was really hot. That you know, obviously they started five and zero, oh, so they are what seven and thirteen in their last twenty games. That's well, Alvin Gentry's. Um, path forward to keeping the job is through Anthony Davis. You know, as soon as like you heard about, you know, cross sport comparison, but Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers, there was some sort of friction there allegedly. And as soon as that happens, the coach is out. So if Anthony Davis does not like Alvin Gentry, he's out. And but by all accounts, people seem to like Alvin Gentry. I do wonder, not, not, not that we're the underdog NFL show. You should listen to that with Mario Hines and Chris Hordell if you like what you hear here. But I do wonder if like, we just saw that Aaron Rodgers played possibly the worst game of his career against the Cardinals. They they somehow lose to uh, just a terrible team. Like, is there some world where like we see Aaron Rodgers just play lights out? They can't make the playoffs anymore, but like we see Rodgers just play like super lights out the rest of the way, and it's like, oh, that guy was definitely tanking to get his head coach fired. I don't know. There, there's a good article. Um, Aaron Schatz and Football Outsiders do a good job with advanced stats, and, and they were making the case that Aaron Rodgers has been quietly in decline for a while, and maybe that's the offense, maybe that's McCarthy's fault. But um, I don't think he can flip the switch and just get back. To I, I did read something that like, and it's harder for me to understand just not being like a football coach or whatever, but I did read something that like Mike McCarthy has the most, I thought Dallas had the most limited playbook because they just had so many, they had so many possessions where they lined up with like two tight ends, two receivers and a running back. But they said something like the route combos that Rogers' receivers have are just absolutely like a joke. Like there's like, just seven different things that they just do the entire game. And it's very easy to see. And Rogers bails them out by being like literally historically great. But again, I I wouldn't know enough. I'm not an all 22 guy, but I do think like that's a situation where you do see a guy who is generational, just kind of like lose it with a coach. And I don't know. I don't think we're in a situation where we're going to see that. Like, I don't think. Well, and I think there's a difference because Anthony Davis doesn't seem like the coach killer personality, right? He seems like more of a blend in kind of guy, but I don't know. That's what I would have said about Kawhi Leonard, and he had friction with Popovich. So maybe once you get a certain level, you get that personality. Let's talk about Kawhi Leonard for a second. Uh, obviously, Toronto loses their twenty and five. We talked about them a lot last week, but they did, did beat Golden State in a in a great game. Durant had fifty. Uh, Leonard had like thirty seven. But let me ask you this question about Kawhi Leonard. The Greg Popovich quote we we kind of glossed over this, but they asked him about Kawhi Leonard being a leader, and he said that you know Kawhi was a great player, but he wasn't necessarily a leader. And then Kawhi Leonard claps back with it's really funny that someone would say something like that like now that I'm gone like guys seem to be remembering things differently so I got a question for you because I, I I feel this specific way does your best player have to be your best no, leader I don't think so I, I think maybe it maybe it's a negative sometimes but why does Kawhi why does that make Kawhi angry like why is Kawhi like not happy with it being said that he's not a leader especially when he played on a team their core had been together 20 years. Like he walked into a locker room that had Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, you know, even Danny Green had been there like, you know, 10 years. Like, well, I think it was like an, uh, in his opinion, probably an unnecessary shot. You know, maybe uh, Pop got baited into it, but still, you know, what's done is done. It's like shit talking an ex. Like you don't have to go there. 
Um, but I think all these players think they're leaders. All these people think they're alpha dogs and maybe they're not, but you know, I, I, I kind of understood where quiet is coming from there, but uh, to your larger point, like I agree. I don't think the best player has to be the most aggressive alpha male. It's good. If that's the case, like it's good. If your best player is your best leader, because then everyone kind of takes from him, but it's not Kawhi. Like he's not that like Kyle Lowry to me has got to be the unquestioned leader of the Raptors. Well, and it kind of reminds me of um, Durant, you know, like his kind of crisis of conscience or whatever he's going through personality wise, because he doesn't strike me as that guy either. And I'm fine with that. Like you're just the best basketball player you can be top, whatever, 20 of all time, just like an assassin in terms of your skill. You don't necessarily have to be a LeBron type vocal leader, but I think he's kind of fighting that stereotype too, where he's like, I have to be LeBron. I have to be the center court. I have to be taking that last shot. And I have to be in the media talking to Bill Simmons. I don't know. It doesn't always suit him naturally either, but I I do think once you have a team in your ear telling you that you are supposed to be that guy, maybe it is hard to resist it. And NBA locker rooms are a really interesting place because you do have guys, you have young guys who are really good and you have older guys who, you know, kind of provide some guidance because it's like, like, let's look at the Sixers for a second and and just like their roster construction. And we can get into Markel Fultz and his thoracic outlet syndrome at another time. Hopefully he gets well soon. But like with the Sixers, right? Joel Embiid's their best player. It's no question about it. He's one of the best five players in the NBA at this exact moment, just in terms of how he's playing. But he's not their leader. Like on the court, they can look to Joe and be like, all right, we know he can get us a bucket. But like, I would say that like what J.J. Redick does for him, I would say what, you know, Jimmy Butler is clearly doing for him. Like those are guys that, you know, they, they really do lead their team, but I, I don't see, you know, Joel Embiid's not the guy that's like, Hey, let's get extra shots. Like Joel Embiid's the guy that's like, Hey, let's get Shirley temples. Like that's who he is. And that's, I like that. I mean, like, it depends. Like I'm the kind of personality when somebody swaggers into a room with like their dick swinging and saying like, Hey, I'm an alpha male. Like, I just think that guy's a douchebag. Or if somebody talks about like, oh, so-and-so, they have a big personality, I'm thinking, okay, that guy sounds like an asshole. Like, I, I don't need that personally to thrive. Um, so I, I think it's like a badge of honor that's not necessarily earned. I, I agree with that. You you do. But, I mean, that's the thing. Like, LeBron walks into a locker room like, that's the alpha male right there. Like, you know it because he's proved it. Like, I would say, like, Damian Lillard, he has that type of reputation right now. Like, he's a guy that people watch do all the right things. Like, those guys earned it. And, and I guess I guess I understand exactly what you're saying, but I don't think Kawhi Leonard can walk into the locker room now. He's a really good player and he's, you know, his personality is great, but I don't think he's done enough off the court to walk in and they're like, all right, Kawhi's here. Like, he's a guy we can take a lead from. Like, yes, it makes you better on the court, but like, that's probably not a guy that's leading your team. And I don't, so I, I just think like, there's not a problem with that. I was a little surprised that Kawhi, it's pretty clear that like, there's no love lost there, especially not with Kawhi. But I was a little bit surprised because I didn't think there was anything wrong with what Greg Popovich said. Now, I, I think Pop will go out and say some crazy shit, but I, I didn't think there was anything wrong with that personally. Well, and to, and to more to your leadership point about Jimmy Butler, the fact that Kawhi Leonard is not like a Jimmy Butler maybe makes him fit into Toronto. Like Jimmy Butler swaggered into Minnesota and ruffled feathers. So um, it's definitely a testament for buying your spots and earning your leadership. Stress. Like I said. There's good things happening in Philly right now. Jimmy Butler's making buzzer beaters. My friends who are Philly fans who bet me money on their seasons are texting me about how they're going to win 50 games and all this bullshit. And like, just wait, that guy ticking time bombs. And like, I'm going to give that hot take right now. Like that locker room, if Jimmy Butler signs a long-term deal will not be the same in two years. Wow. Now who skipped Bayless now? It's just who, it's just who Jimmy Butler is. Like when you're winning, it's great. Everything's awesome. 
But like, if Joel Embiid's foot's injured and he misses 25 games one year, like, do you think Jimmy Butler's going to be okay with that? He's going to be like, ah, I think Joe can play. Like, it's this is a situation that we've seen with him before. So uh, let's get into let's. We didn't really talk about a lot of results, but I, I do think like the larger macro of the NBA was a little bit more interesting this week than. No, it's it's like House of Cards, the power dynamics between these struggling teams. Pressure gets up. Who's fighting who? How do they turn on each other? I think it's really fascinating to watch. Yeah, Jimmy Butler, that's going to be the next movie. We'll call it, instead of like Roma, we can call it something about Jimmy and then like just have it be like his three-act play from like Chicago to Minnesota to Philly and watch how he just destroyed all the empires. Like that's why I wouldn't want the guy as like the ending of the process because I just think he's way too volatile. Well, I'm writing down your list of enemies. We have Jeff Goodman, Jimmy Butler, Ernie Grunfeld. Don't put Brandon Williams. It's like Steve Buscemi and, and Billy Madison. That's how I picture it. Don't put Brandon Williams on the list of enemies. He's a uh, he, he's not he's not an enemy. Brandon is Brandon I like. <laughs> yeah, we love you, Brandon Williams. Hire Tyler as the new coach. All right. What do you got for a disappointed dad this week? Well, you mentioned him. And so this whole segment I'm trying to get used to being a father. And one of the things you have to do is kind of stay in touch. You know, you don't want to be that cranky old man shouting at the TV or saying, all oh, these kids watching YouTube, it's not a real thing. And I fear that Greg Popovich is becoming the cranky old dad. You know, I always thought he was as a testament, as opposed to somebody like Phil Jackson, he was constantly evolving and embracing the modern times and the beautiful game. On, we saw the people need that. I'm going to interrupt your, this is a guy, Phil Jackson, that said he didn't want his team taking corner threes, that he thought that was. The- well, exactly. Exactly my point. So he, he was the fossil who died out. He was the cranky old dad for sure. And Popovich has been the opposite. He's been the cool dad, right? He's been the guy like, look, I'll let you shoot your threes. I'll let you team ball. But. I don't know. He's always lamented the fact that teams are shooting so many threes, but he embraced it in terms of the way to win basketball games. But now he's kind of bumping against it again and talking about how he hates playing that way. And it's kind of manifesting on the court. You know, DeMar DeRozan is not a three-point shooter. He's making 0.4 a game. LaMarcus Aldridge isn't shooting and making threes anymore. And I think it's to their detriment. I, I do wonder if Popovich, the roster, maybe it's just a roster thing. You know, it's not a ton of talent to work with there. But it scares me like how much appetite he has left, how much fire he has in the belly, um, especially with a team that might top out in, with a round one loss. I, I don't know if he's built to last in this modern NBA anymore, and I wouldn't be surprised if he steps aside soon. Yeah, I would say that for, for me, if you were a betting man, Pop, he's coaching the Olympic team, I would say he's after they win or after they compete for a gold medal. And I believe, what is it, 2020? I would imagine that's last that's a good way, a good way to end too. And, I, and I've, I've thought that for a little while, but uh, I, I'm going to start picking coaches too. Like you, you do a good job with this. I just pick a player that I think like I watched. I, I ended up watching Brooklyn last night for a little while, and Jared Allen was a guy that really popped off the page for Teachers Pet. Uh, it just looks like a really good young big man. Like you're getting twelve and two, twelve, eight and three, and then one point nine stocks on sixty percent from the field. Just a guy that's playing twenty eight minutes a night, and I, I think. He's a really good building block. I don't know if he's a starter. I, I don't know if he's an energy big yet. I haven't seen enough, but he's been a positive on offense, which he was not last year. And he's been a very, very good player on defense and, and looks like a guy that can protect the rim at a pretty high level. So if you get a chance to watch the Nets, who are actually randomly fun, like Spencer Dinwiddie is really good. D'Angelo Russell is very up and down. But Jared Allen, teacher's pet, kudos to you. Take your gold star. And uh, we'll go into buzzer beaters. So why don't you uh, start? Yeah, I was interested. I saw that somebody talking about, aside from Golden State, 
which Western team would you actually bet on in the playoffs? And would you more specifically really bet against LeBron? And a lot of people were arguing that they would, and they would pick a team even in LA, the Clippers over them. And so it kind of stems to our conversation last week is depth helping the regular season, but superstar power helps in the playoffs. So let's say seven game series right now in the playoffs, Clippers versus Lakers. What's the result? I'm not picking against LeBron unless he's playing Golden State. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. Even if Denver's way better, even if Utah's way better, whatever, I'm not picking against LeBron unless he's playing Golden State. So I'll give you in Staples, no travel. Hmm. I'll give you Lakers in five if they were to play in the playoffs. Wow, I hope that, ha- I I hope like that happens. Honestly, this is awesome. I'm super excited now. I hope that happens. Um, my first one... So, Brooke Lopez shooting a career-high 37% on 6.83s a game, which is a career-high. Don't have to tell you that over the last two and a half years, he's really reinvented himself as a stretch five, pretty much extended his career. Who is another guy that you think could add a skill that would make them substantially better? And you can't pick – you can't say, like, oh, I wish Giannis could shoot threes. He's already a star. But is there any kind of, like, role player out there that you've seen where you're like, man, I wish he could do this and he would be a really, really good player? Yeah, that's a great question. Because you always talk about, you know, if only so and so once he develops a jump or once he develops, and it rarely happens. And for Brooke Lopez to become this proficient, all of a sudden is really remarkable. Um, I I keep thinking back to Chicago, because there's a guy that hasn't played this year, Chris Dunn, that I really love. I love his defense. Um, But you do wonder, can a defense first guard stay in the league and continue to thrive? So I want to see Chris Dunn add some, you know, plus three-point shooting. He doesn't have to be great. Just like become like an Avery Bradley level or whatever it is, Patrick Beverly level. And he would fit in really well with that potential star if it's RJ Barrett or Zion Williamson and be a a really good three and D point guard for them. So I really want to see Chris Dunn thrive. And I think he's just a little skill or two away from getting there. If he could literally shoot like 31%, he might be two or three wins better as a player, 100%. Stemming line, buzzer beater to you. You have a lot of enemies. You get one chance, one punch in the face. Who are you taking the punch on? Jeff Goodman. Brandon Williams, who you like. You can make amends with Brandon Williams here. Um, Jimmy Butler or Ernie Grunfeld. One sock no, in the I'm face. punching Who's Ernie Grunfeld it? in the face. Like, it's not even a question. I was going to say, like, there were times in Delaware where Brandon asked me to do things that made me want to punch him in the face, and you just don't. But if I got a clean shot at anybody, just a punch in the face, it would be Ernie Grunfeld, right in his stupid mustache, Zan. That guy has caused me, for a person I've never met or spoke to, he's caused me just so much of a headache. Um, all right, last one for me. I have to preface it a little bit. You Have you seen Glow on Netflix? I have, yes, with Allison Brie about wrestling. Yes. Okay, good. All right, so Allison Brie, I follow her on Instagram. She posted a picture of her like in her trailer in her Glow outfit. And on the bottom of this picture, JaVale McGee commented, been watching and am hooked, to which Allison Bree responded, yes, thank you, with a heart emoji. My question, is JaVale McGee actually a Glow fan, or does he just think he can slide into Allison Bree's DMs? <laughs> well, she's married. I do know that. Yeah, to Dave Franco. But I mean, it's JaVale McGee. I'll tell you something. Oh, this might go a little over the buzzer beater, but Allison Bree responded to me on Twitter once. <laughs> Were you trying to, were you sliding in the DMs or what? No, this is before my wife, but still, I know I have no shot. But it was about something like, it was like the Maxim Hot 100 Awards or some stupid show. 
and they had a category it was hottest Allison. And um, it was like Allison Brie against some other hot Allison. And then I wrote to her, uh, you know, I tweeted a little joke. And I said, Allison Janney, you know, the woman from Mom. Kind <laughs> oh, of yeah, yeah. <laughs> odd looking woman. I said, Allison Janney was robbed or something like that. And Allison Brie retweeted tweeted it or something where she commented on it and made my day like JaVale McGee. I think she just might be active. Maybe he knew that she she's uh, thirsty for internet contact. Hit her up. So everyone should hit her up and see if she responds. Maybe she's just sitting there all day waiting for people to write. So down. the next thing before next week, the two of us are going to try to either comment on her Instagram or tweet at her and see if we can get a response. And if so, and if it happens, we'll put it up for people to see. Oh, that's great. Yeah, please do that. Forget the outro. Forget emailing, emailing me at Xandra Gellison at Gmail. Tweet at Allison Bree. Just poke the bear in a respectful way. Don't be a creepo. Absolutely. Just be like JaVale McGee. Like just he's a, he loves gorgeous ladies of wrestling, which personally is is also a show that I love. So I, I'm I'm gonna try to tweet at her and then also just, you know, really nerd out. Uh, also Rachel Brosnahan, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel starts again this week. Another great show. All right, you get to pick one girl creepy crush right now. You can't pick two. Same I don't want to pick Allison Bree because she's married. So uh, all right, that's it for me. You can play us out, Zan. I love you, Allison Brie. I do like Allison Brie. She is the hottest Allison I know. So tweet at her and follow us if you have time, if you're, if you're done creeping on her. <laughs> all right, we'll be back next week. Talk to you soon, Zan. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news. 